You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. Mic check, mic check. Here we go again. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for tuning in on this hump day. Uh, By the time most of you are listening to this podcast, I will be on my way, probably on the road, to Indianapolis for the ATA show, the Archery Trade Association show. And for those of you who don't know what that show is, it is a gathering of manufacturers and they sit in a booth and they let people who sell those products into that ballroom basically it's just a giant convention that uh, all the brands within the hunting industry are there and, and, and most of it revolves around bow hunting and archery so arrows camo broadheads you know feathers bows everything you know that revolves around bow hunting tree stands so forth and so on and I go there uh, and I'm going to be covering it Uh, basically what I'm going to be doing is looking for the latest and greatest products I have some business meetings because it is also uh, a time where I can present my product which is this podcast and the sportsman's nation to some of these manufacturers and I say stuff like hey would you like to advertise your product on my podcast and that's just one way for uh, podcasts to make money Uh, a lot of the television personalities are going to be there as well and that's how they make their money is they sit down and they say okay well we did this this and this and now we got to negotiate deals and all that kind of stuff so that is a, a big part of the, the television side of things. Uh, it's kind of a part of what I do as well, but my main focus outside of those meetings is going to be covering the products, covering the show. And the goal is this year may not be to cover the big brands, 
you know, like let's say Matthews or um, I don't know why the why Rage comes to mind, but like the big brands, they don't necessarily need any help uh, getting exposure because there's a lot of people and they pay a lot of money uh, to do that for them. I think this year I want to focus a little bit on some of the back wall booths, and these are very small companies that may have a good product, may not have a good product, but they're there. They don't have the million dollar budgets to promote it. So I think what I want to do is give them a shot and, you know, hey, we're, uh, you know, a mom, pa from this part of the country. And we also sell broadheads or we also make a bow. And I'd love to hear what they have to say. Maybe give those kind of companies a little bit of exposure as well. And, you know, still keep my eye out for the latest and greatest from, you know, some of the big companies if they have, a, you know, a new product that's truly worth uh, covering um, and not just, uh, hey, we're putting something out to put something out. So um, that's what I'm going to be doing while I'm there. Hopefully you guys listen to this podcast if you are. <laughs> That's, that was so dumb. Hopefully you listen to this podcast because if you're hearing this, you are listening to this podcast. Sometimes I'm a douche. But if there's something that you want me to cover, I made a post on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. And if there's a product or a company you want to see if they've done anything uh, new or if there's a company that may maybe doesn't get the coverage it deserves, Make a note on that post, comment on it, let me know, and I'll, I'll try to do my best to go to that, uh, that uh, brand or that company and take a look at what their offerings are. So there's that. Now, today's podcast, man. The last time we talked with this guy, he walked us through how to make a walk-in cooler with an air conditioning. So in a way, he's kind of like the MacGyver of the deer hunting woods, but <laughs> Greg Krause Today, uh, we're going to be talking about annual patterns, uh, and I really enjoyed this conversation because this is a buck that he had two previous years of history with before he ended up shooting it in 2017, this, this past year. So he had an encounter and shed from 2015, encounters from 2016, and ended up harvesting this buck on two, in 2017, and he used annual patterns to locate this deer and get a good idea of where he needs to be hunting, and that's what this podcast is about, man. So um, I throw in my two cents about annual patterns as well. Uh, in a way, I am a huge believer in them because, uh, I mean, I, I run a lot of trail cameras, and trail cameras don't lie. So I've had my experience with annual patterns as well. I really like them, and uh, there are times when I make my decisions based off them. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but uh, we get into that today. Now, let me see here, man. I, I wasn't prepared for this part of it. I never am. I got to give a shout-out to a company. And what company are we going to shout-out today? Today, 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 gearhead bows, man, gearhead. Now, I don't even know what to say, man. These guys are coming out with a ton of new products, you know, as far as how new they are, right? So they started out with like a handful of bows. Then they listened to their customers and they said, okay, customers want a longer bow. So they made a longer bow. Customers said they wanted a 
crossbow. So now they came up with a crossbow. And even Skip, one of the like the the guy who does some of the designing for the company, wouldn't give me a hundred percent insight of what they're launching at the ATA show this year. So I can't wait to get to that booth and uh, check out what their new offering is this year. I think it's a bow, but I think they've made some redesigns to their uh, to their uh, crossbow as well. So, and and this company's no joke, right? I'm telling you from one bow hunter to another bow hunter, if you get the opportunity to shoot a gearhead bow, man, you guys need to do it. Uh, so go to gearheadarchery.com, take a look at all their offerings, and even if you have to drive an hour to the nearest dealer, I highly recommend shooting this bow. Um, I also know that they're dropping some of their price points on uh, on their bows, so that's another big you know a big plus for uh, how this company is growing. Uh, I have a feeling they're going to be around for a long time, and they're going to be competing with some of the big boys in that uh, in that market. So be sure to check out Gearhead Archery at gearheadarchery.com. All right, enough of all the bullshit. Let's get into today's. I don't even know what to call it. It's kind of a hunter profile podcast, but we talk about annual patterns, so it's kind of a little bit strategy as well. I'm not going to put a label on it, but we are going to get into today's podcast with Greg Krause. All right, back again for the second time on the podcast, Mr. Greg Krause. How you doing today, Greg? Pretty good. How are you? I can't complain, man. The last time you were on, you kind of walked us through how you built a, like, I guess a homemade walk-in cooler to hang deer in. Uh, that was the last podcast that you were on. Now, my question to you right now is, do you have that walk-in cooler full of deer right now? Yes, we do. We uh, we used it all season, and it was it was amazing to really age deer you know, 14 days. It was great. And we've, we're in the middle of a cold snap here in New York. So we actually have a heater rigged up in it now to maintain it at 35. Cause otherwise it would be below zero probably. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, I, I want to, I've been watching a lot of the food network lately. Right. And it's yeah. just kind of on in the background while I'm either working on a computer or, you know, watching the kids or my wife's watching TV or whatever while I'm doing something else. But something caught my attention the other day, and that was these guys who are aging meat. And it can, you know, it can be a week or two weeks or however long. And that's beef, right? So how long do you guys age your deer before you start processing them? I try to do it 14 days. Seems really a nice sort of sweet spot. Um, I did one this year, 30 days. And, um, I don't know, 14 seems to be enough. 30 was still fine. Uh, you could go a lot longer, but you start to lose a little more meat the, the longer you go. Yeah. Because it's such a lean, lean meat, not a lot of fat on them anyway. Well, you just end up with a thicker sort of skin on the outside yeah. that you have to trim off. Yeah. Um, but it makes all the difference. Even seven days makes a huge difference. Man, I wish I could do the, that. The meat ends up. Yeah, the meat ends up being really tender and uh, just, it sort of mellows the flavor and everybody loves it. I mean, I serve it to, every time we have people over, we're having venison and everybody's going back for seconds and thirds. Yeah. 
I tell you what, this year, and I don't know how long the the actual processor aged the deer before they cut it up. I have a feeling it wasn't aged hardly at all. I I dropped my, my meat off, or I killed it, and I dropped it off at the processor within like 24 hours. So there was probably no aging at all. And I have a feeling that if I want to get my wife to appreciate venison a little more, aging the the meat might just have to be a necessity moving forward yeah i mean um i have friends that would eat it occasionally when we served it but now really really like it so it's just uh you know it's not bad any other way fresh but when it's aged it's really just it just makes it really really nice right a little salt and pepper on the grill not a lot of marinades anything like that just real simple and it's real flavorful and good right Okay, well, we're not here to talk about that today. We're talk, here no. to talk about hunting this uh, season. On uh, on the 16th of November, you sent me a picture. I'm not sure if that's when you, uh, when you shot the deer or not, but you sent me a picture on the 16th uh, of a buck that you harvested with your bow. And, dude, that is a stud buck. Now, remind everybody where, where you live. So I'm in southern New York State, about an hour north of New York City. Okay. So it's no ag fields. It's um, you know a lot of four acre lots, up to maybe fifty acre lots, uh, a few bigger green spaces of land around. But it's it's mostly uh, suburban type areas. Gotcha, gotcha. So is that a high pressure type of scenario that you're hunting? Yeah, there's not many properties that you could drive by and be like, man, I'd like to try hunting there that doesn't have somebody hunting it. Right. Pretty much most of the properties have bow hunters in them. Um, right. You know, there's a few properties that, that you know, have no hunting whatsoever, and they, those properties are sanctuaries, but most of the property around here gets hunted. Right. So you shot a stud buck just so we have an idea of what this deer was when you ended up harvesting him. What do you believe his age to be this year when you when you shot him, and what do you think the the score was? So we age every deer we shoot um, based on tooth wear. A friend of mine ages for the state of New York, ages deer. So every doe, every buck, we have everything aged just to keep a record of, of what we're doing and what we're seeing for, for our management purposes as much as we can manage. And uh, this buck is six and a half to seven and a half years old based on tooth wear. And I actually sent a tooth out to have aged at a lab because there's a neighbor that runs trail cameras and he has history with this deer and he thinks it's older than that. Wow. Wow. And that's a, that's an outlier when it comes to, you know, age clash in your area, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can find them if you, you know, but they're harder to find, you know, they're around, but they're usually hanging out on the properties where you can't get at them or, or there's a couple of very large pieces of property that they, they can lay low in. And and as I said, there's no um, food sources like ag fields. So every other tree is an oak tree. So it's hard to pattern them on food or anything else. Uh, So some of the bucks can get old, but generally that's a pretty, you know, four and a half is really sort of topping out a mage for the most part. And what, okay, remind me again, what did you say you, you scored or what you aged him at? Seven? 
Uh, he's six and a half to seven and a half, we think, based on okay. tooth wear. Okay. And a buddy says he thinks he's older. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, getting a deer to maturity anywhere really is 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 rare even in iowa i mean yes we have an higher higher age structure but even a seven and a half year old buck in iowa is is something of a rarity unless you have a, a very large amount of property that is heavily managed right so so yeah. the, getting a, a deer to that is, is really impressive now today's conversation I w- we're going to talk about annual patterns because you just didn't go out and shoot this deer. You knew this deer existed, and you kind of had a feeling that, you know, he had an annual pattern working, and that's how you ended up harvesting him. So my first question is, tell me about the first time you ever had an encounter or you knew of this deer, whether it was from trail camera picks or whether it was from uh, a sighting from a tree stand or scouting. So the first time I saw him was three seasons ago on November 16th. And uh, a lot of guys hate the lockdown. But I've killed uh, a, a large proportion of my older and bigger class deer. I've actually killed while they're locked down with does by getting into some really thick areas and actually catching bucks with does. Yeah. So I was hunting in an area just in general for an area where I thought a buck might lock down. And sure enough, he came through with a doe at about 80 yards, 85 yards out uh, along uh, the neighboring property line. And I just watched him for maybe a minute through the binoculars. And uh, that was the first time I saw him. And then he disappeared further into the neighboring property. Gotcha. But so at that he was time... really distinct. That was the first time I'd seen him. And I didn't think much of it, but I was like, man, that's a really nice deer. He's only a seven-pointer, and he's, but he's got huge brow tines and a pretty chocolate rack. Okay. So I, it was you know, a distinctive deer to, to, to notice. Right, right. So did you, I mean, when you saw that deer and you, you, know, you see him, could you tell he was a three, possibly four-year-old deer at that time? Yeah, I mean, even at that distance, I could see he had, you know, some really nice, you know, just... His body size was really squared off, and he was starting to get, you know, real deep in the chest. So I figured he was, and I figured he had to be three and a half, at least. Okay. So any other encounters with that deer uh, in that 2015 season? No. No, that was it. That was the only time I'd seen him. Okay. So when when you see a one-off deer like that, generally speaking, uh what kind of goes through your head? Do you say, well, maybe I, I, I got to I gotta see if he's going to be around next year, or do you just assume that he's going to get shot? I never assume that. Um, it's it's probably likely that it'll happen, but I, ne- I never assume that because it's the same thing with, you know, you get into the mindset with the same thing with the younger bucks. Like, if I don't shoot it, somebody else will. I just always assume every deer I I see and don't get a shot at or every deer I pass, I just assume it's going to make it. Yeah. I try to stay positive and it makes it much easier to get out in the woods the next year. <laughs> well, that's one way to look at it, man. I like that's that's like optimism at its prime. Oh yeah. I mean, I let a lot of deer go and people are like, man, someone's going to shoot that deer. You know, that deer was two and a half and it was a nice eight or three and a half. 
and that's fine. And if the guy down the road shoots him and it makes him happy, that's great. But, uh, you know, I wanted to shoot whatever makes me happy at the time. Right. Absolutely. All right. So 2015 ended, uh, with no other encounters of this buck. Is it, was this buck at that time, maybe a deer you were actively thinking about, or was it just kind of pushed to the back of your brain and, you know, maybe when he popped up on trail camera or hunting the next year, you recognized him. He was on my, you know, I thought about him, but I didn't think too much about him. Now I had permission to shed hunt the area up near where fairly close to where I saw him. So that, and I had not shed hunted that the previous year. So I went up there in the spring and I didn't find any fresh sheds, but I found like five sheds from the year before, um, a bunch of little bucks and then one really nice antler that had not been chewed that I was now having the deer down were pretty much positive. It was his, his antler from the previous year. So I saw him three years ago and this was the shed. This would have been the shed from the year before that. Okay. Okay. So the two, you, you found the 2014 shed. You had an encounter with him in 2015. Now, how far in relation was that antler to where you had the encounter with him? Uh, 300 yards, 300 yards. So for me, I don't know how you are, but for me, that's when I start to get the gears grinding, right? When, when you start to triangulate one of their positions, whether it's through trail camera picks, encounters, or, or uh, like a shed antler, right? Or a visual sighting from a road or something. You, for me, you know, I put a dot here and I put a dot here and I draw a line and then it's like, okay, that deer is coming through that line in these two points at some point in time is, did, did, your brain kind of work like that at all? Or was it still kind uh, of, eh, we'll just see what happens in the, no, in the fall. At that point, I was already thinking, you know, okay, this deer is, it wasn't a one-off experience. That deer is here more than once over the course of two years. Now he's been here. Um, you know, so he's definitely in here. And obviously if it was a shed, it was late season. He was in there as well as the time I saw him in November. So I figured that's on the edge of a property where there is no hunting and there's some thickets in there. It's not a real big property, but I was starting to think he might be kind of living in there and spending a lot of time in there. Okay. Um, so there wasn't much I could do to move towards him. So I still didn't, I still wasn't optimistic that I was going to set up some great plan to catch him. I just knew he was in there and, and, you know, I kept that in my mind. Okay. So, 2015 no other no other sheds of that buck other than the one from 2014 yeah okay all right so 2016 well, going into the season let's say uh the summertime uh did you do any uh stand location preps or scouting missions specifically for this deer not really um you know, I, I hunt a, a few of the properties kind of around this property I thought he might be on, and it was definitely in, you know, he was on my mind, but I wasn't really overly thinking about him. So I just, you know, I did stand preps in the general area and um, did my normal scouting, and I'm always looking for new places and, and some of the properties we hunt. Um, 
you know, the one is 5,000 acres. It's a, it's through the deer management program we're involved with. So that is, uh, and that's right down the road as well. So I spent a lot of time in there. So I wasn't focused on him. I did start trying to look out in other areas uh, in that 5,000 acres. I thought maybe he was living on that property because it seemed more likely it's bigger that even there's a, a bunch of hunting pressure that, you know, he could find a spot to hide. Yeah. So I was kind of keeping my eye out for, for more sheds and just, you know, from previous years or for that year and just, you know, trying to put the pieces together. Okay. So any, any early season trail camera pictures of him? I run one trail camera for like a, a week or two a season. Generally, I really don't run trail cameras. Okay. A lot of the properties I hunt, we can't, um, so yeah, I had I had nothing. I okay. had no intel other than that one sighting and the shed from the pre, from the previous year. All right, all right. So going into twenty six. So trail cameras really aren't that big of a tool for you. No. Okay. All right. So nothing, no sightings or or, or no extra intel going into the two thousand and sixteen season. Uh, now, in the two thousand and sixteen season. Was there any defining moments or encounters or, um, I guess, or trail camera pictures of that one trail camera that you uh, that you had that was like, bingo, that, that's him? So I was, it didn't happen quite like that. Um, I think it was the 10th of November. I was driving down the road. I left my house. I was driving down the road. I had a doctor's appointment in the afternoon. It was drizzling. And I was, you know how you do when you're driving down the road, your eyes aren't even on the road. You're just sort of checking the woods. <laughs> that and is one reason my I wife think, hates me. <laughs> oh, my wife was driving behind me this year. And she was like, you know, all I can see is this, the, the side of your head while you're driving in front of us. Because you're looking at the side of all the time. Oh, man. So I'm driving down the road and I see a doe bedded uh, in this swamp, on this little little high spot in a swamp. Um on one of the properties I actually had permission to hunt. And I stopped and I'm looking at her and then just behind her in the thickets, I could see a big, nice wide chocolate rack deer, um, bedded right behind her. So I turned around and I went home and I couldn't miss my appointment, but my father was at home and I said, you know, dad, you know, get your gear and go up to that stand. We have a lock on about a hundred yards above that hill. I said, get up in that stand and just, you know, who knows, maybe he'll come up, but there's a big deer in there. At that point, I hadn't, I didn't have my binoculars, and I didn't realize it was the same thing I was looking at. It didn't dawn on me at that at that moment. Okay. Um, but, but this was on a piece of property that you had access to? I had access to this property, yes. Okay. okay. Um, it was a small piece of private I had access to. Um, and I, I didn't put two and two together at that point, that that was the deer I had that I'd seen the season before. Okay. So no, so like if something like that happens to me and I, you know, but for me, I run a shit ton of trail cameras, right? So I have a good idea of all the deer that I'm going to see. Not necessarily because in September, you know, there's that shift that we all talk about and deer can go in and out and, and change core locations. But for me, my brain starts to like a Rolodex, right? And I think of all the deer that may fit that description. It goes through my head, and and I and I kind of pick like a computer. I pick what might be the the highest probability that it could be one of those deer. 
did you have any like did it even cross your mind at all that it you know it could be this buck it it might have okay but it didn't stick out that day that that was the tent that didn't stick out so the next day was a weekday and my wife works and she has to leave the house early in the morning and I have, I work second shift. So I have the kids all morning and I didn't have, you know, I didn't have time set aside for hunting that day. And, uh, so what I did is I went out right in a spot right next to my house where I thought I might be able to encounter the deer. Cause he was locked down with the doe. There's sort of a funnel that winds. It's like a circular sort of funnel that winds through a bunch of these properties. So I thought maybe, you know, what the hell, I'll go sit for 15 minutes of daylight before I have to run back to the house as my wife's pulling out the driveway so I can be there for the kids. Right. So I went out for about 15 minutes of daylight the following day, and here comes the doe running with five bucks chasing her, um, a bunch of little ones, and this big buck. Okay. And then as soon as I saw him coming towards me at about 50 yards, I said, oh, shit, that's him. Yeah. I could see how many points he had. I could see his brow tines. I figured it out, and then I put two and two together. Gotcha. Um, and I was at full draw on him twice, but he was just, they were like a school of fish going around this dog. They were just moving and it was about 50 yards and they were oh, moving man. fast, zigzagging and running around and there was nothing I could do. He broke the doe off, sort of chased the other bucks off and ran about 150 yards away and then just stood there with her, just standing over her. Man. And as I'm walking back to the house, I'm watching them as I'm walking back to the house because I have to be home. It was killing me. Um, Man, that's I actually crazy. had to bring my daughter to nursery school that day, and I dropped her off, and, and, and you know, I was driving her from down the road. I was glassing from up on the hill while she was in nursery school, and I wasn't seeing the deer. So I was on my way back to get her from nursery school at noon, and here he is walking 30 yards away from the roadside <laughs> following this doe. Just standing there in all his glory and I'm trying to take pictures of my damn cell phone and I got too many podcasts loaded on it and I got no memory left so I'm trying to delete everything on my phone I'm are you trying, trying to, to blame that on me uh, yeah I think I am um I, I might have cursed you a little bit I don't know um I was I was trying to delete all these pictures and finally they walked off I, I had my phone on I had it off and finally this I didn't want anything about it, and he left. So I never got a picture of him, although he was 30 yards in broadside um, for probably three or four minutes. Okay. All right. So, um, so, yeah. Where he was bedded in that swamp, how far from the encounter last year, and how f- far from the shed? Uh, um, less than a quarter mile. Okay, less than a quarter mile. All right. So yeah. did this, was this a straight line of like kind of, you know, you, you got one one point on a map is the shed. One point on a map is the uh, is the encounter. And then that marsh where you, where you saw a big buck bedded and you realized it was him later on. Um, it, it, it made sense along, there's, there's this, it's hard to describe. We have a lot of like glacial deposits. So it's huge rock outcroppings and steep little bluffs. And it's, it's pretty gnarly terrain. It's not a lot of high elevation, but it's pretty rough. Um, 
so it makes a lot of terrain changes with benches and funnels and stuff. And there's sort of a circular funnel that runs basically behind my house and then out through an, um, a handful of different properties. And the deer oftentimes during the rut will, if I see one in one spot, I'm not surprised if I see them on a different property that sort of using this circular route gotcha. of funnels. Gotcha. So, so you, it made sense. Right, right. So, so, and then right behind your house, that is kind of all intertwined in that circular cycle. Yeah. 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 Yep. That place backs up to the 5,000 acre um, piece of uh, land that's enrolled in the deer management program. So they can come in and out of that 5,000 acres pretty easily. But it seems that when they want to hit the doe bedding areas, they often will incorporate this circular loop into their whatever they normally do. It's not that they're running it every day in big circles, right. but it's often that you'll catch them on one side and then catch them on the other. It's not that uncommon. Right. Well, that makes sense. Now, any other encounters in 2016 with this buck? <laughs> well, that day that I had to... I hunted in the morning for a couple minutes and then I had to pick up my daughter. When I came back, I, at that point had had, it was the rut. So I had arranged babysitters for the afternoon so I could take off from work and I could hunt the afternoons. So uh, I forget if the babysitter came or if I dropped her off, but whatever. I, I ended up about one thirty, two o'clock. I, I had time to get in the woods. So I, uh, I thought I might know where they were headed. So I tried to get ahead of them. As I'm walking in with my climber on my back, the doe stands up about 60 yards in front of me. Oh, boy. And I was like, shit, that's her. I could just tell. I, you know, it, just, it was a gut feeling. And then she bounds off, and then he stands up out of a thick brush about 70 yards off and bounds off behind her. So they had beat me. They were going where I thought they might be, but they had beat me there. Oh, man. So that was the last encounter I had with him so that you, afternoon. You went to go hunt. What was it like? I, I, I'm, I'm assuming here, but a, like a bedding area. Uh, it just, it was a thicker spot with some blowdowns where I thought just the direction they were traveling and the way the terrain lays out. And when I last saw them headed that way, I kind of thought they were just, it just made sense that they'd head up that way. Okay. But yeah, there's a little bit of thickets and a few down trees, but it just made sense in general that, you know, I find when they're locked down with the does, they don't go to the regular bedding areas. They don't go near the feeding areas. They find these little tiny clumps of cover in places you'd never suspect them, and they just lock down with the does there. It happens a lot. Right. Okay. So and what date was that? That was the last encounter of 2016. I'm trying to remember. The 10th, I think. The 10th. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think it was either the 10th or the 11th. Okay. I'm trying so, to remember, but. Yeah. 10th or 11th, 2016 was the last encounter you had, but yep. you've gotten now two years worth of Intel. How far from that, uh, that last encounter was it from the first encounter of the previous year? Uh, that was, yeah, I mean, a little more than a quarter mile. Okay. This isn't, it's not a real far distance. All right. So a quarter mile, maybe a half mile maybe a half mile through this series of sort of funnels. Gotcha. So that through the, that, that cycle that they're taking, right? A quarter mile through that cycle. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is this is something now that you've you know you, this you're aware of this deer, right? You're aware he's in the yeah. area. The the season goes by. You you um, did you hear any neighbors or other hunters having any having any encounters with him? No, I uh, and I reached out to a lot of people. I'm like, hey man, have you seen you know a big seven point with really tall brow tines, you know dark horn, you know dark antlers, and no one had seen him that I had talked to. I talked to a lot of people and. My buddy runs one of the big management programs that uh, part of the property that this deer was on. And I said, look, if anybody shoots a deer that matches this description, let me know. I want to come see it. I just want to check it out. I want to see the age. You know, I'd like to, you know, even if someone else kills it, I'd like to check it out because I have history with it. Right. Okay. Um, But it was that day that I was chasing him. um, uh, And... I sort of started thinking about, you know, where is he coming from? What's he doing? How's he doing this? What, where does he, why does he only show up? And I was thinking, well, the 16th, and now it's the 10th or the 11th. I said, man, he just, just this time of year, he shows up out of nowhere. Nobody else I know has seen him that I've talked to. You know, we've never seen him any other time of year. Um, and at that same time, I started hearing things on the podcasts about annual patterns. So that's when I started it kind of hit me. I'm like, you know what? This deer only shows up for a couple days right around this time of year. And then he's gone again. And I don't know where he goes. Okay. So once you heard and started educating yourself on annual patterns, did you kind of collect all the data and go, okay, this deer does not live on this farm. And he only comes and visits for a couple times, you know, throughout the, the quote unquote lockdown part of the rut. Did you did you feel comfortable b- believing that, or did you not have enough information to make a decision like that? Um, you know, I didn't know anything for sure, but it sounded like a like a valid, you know, theory. Right. And you know what the hell? You got nothing to lose. Go for it. Right. Try to work on it. You know, okay. work with what you got. Okay. So tenth, eleventh, two thousand sixteen. Last time you saw him, um, and did you hunt after that? Oh, yeah. I hunted a bunch in different areas, trying to see him throughout that circular funnel area, a few different places, oddball places I thought he might be coming in from. Um, I hunted, you know, I sort of did like the shotgun approach and kind of just hit a bunch of different spots where I thought, you know, potentially he could be coming from. Okay. And he was gone. He was gone. I did have a trail camera in a funnel, in that part of that funnel that week. Uh, that I had seen him and in the day, I guess it was the day after I had the encounter, I saw him come through again without a doe at night on trail camera. Right. So he had left her and come back through that funnel again. Uh, I didn't have her on camera. I'm assuming she wasn't there. I'm assuming he was cruising and that was the only trail camera. I had two or three pictures of him just working scrape uh, like the day after I had seen him with her. Okay. So question after that, you know, after the 2016 season was over and you stopped having all the encounters with him, did you put together any type of like hypothesis or like 
best guesses of where this buck spent most his time and maybe where he was, what direction he was coming from when he did enter the properties that you had access to on that, that week long, I guess, uh, stint that he spent chasing does on, on your farms. So I tried to figure out best I could. And I, and I, I tried to work out every possibility. Um, I scouted as hard as I could on all the properties I had access to. I talked to a guy I, I had known, and it, it turns out about 10 years ago, he had an encounter with a large chocolate-racked deer with huge brow tines about a mile and a half from there. And I knew it wouldn't be this deer, but I thought maybe some of the genetics were coming from there. And it's this big mountain laurel hilltop, real thick, real rocky and craggy, so, south-facing. So I spent a lot of time up there shed hunting and looking for signs, thinking maybe that's where he's coming from. But I never really definitively found anything I could I, – I was never satisfied with any of the results. Okay. All right. So any sheds from 2016? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. No. Um, 2017 hits. Uh, any, any trail camera pictures before the season started? Nope. Nope. Nothing. Okay. So this leads me. <laughs> so was this deer on your mind going into the 2017 season? Absolutely. Um, the whole time going into the season, I was like, if this annual pattern thing holds water, he's going to be on one of the properties I can kill him on in this time frame. So now I just got to, you know, get lucky and, and, try to you know hedge my bets and figure out the best place to kill him with the best winds on the best times and try to get in there and, and kill him you know assuming he's still alive gotcha okay Assum- and you know there's a lot of blind faith blind luck here but based on the knowledge i had i felt like it was educated guesses i was taking right so tell me the time frame that you thought that you had the best chance of killing this buck if he was still alive I figured sometime between like the ninth and the sixteenth. Okay. I figured that was going to be the time frame. Okay, between November 9th and November sixteenth. All right, that what's that? Uh, seven days. That's a, a seven day window. Yeah. You know, obviously we have you know cold fronts are are indicators of deer movement, and you know people love to hunt cold fronts. But was there any specific wind direction or? Um, uh, I guess, uh, temperature or weather pattern, or I don't know, even if you got into the moon phases at all that you were really hoping and looking for to say, this is the specifically, this is the best possible chance I have to kill this deer. So going into the rut, I wasn't really sure exactly the best place I'd have to ambush him. There was a few places I thought I might encounter him. And I wasn't, so because of that, I wasn't sure what the best wind direction was going to be or anything else. I knew what places I could hunt with what winds, but I wasn't sure which one was going to be the best place to actually catch up with them. Did you have any stand locations where, you know, for me, I, I chased one specific deer for five years. Uh, that was a long time ago. And I knew he wasn't going to be in any other uh, tree stand, you know, like any of these other locations. So I just didn't straight up hunt those locations. Right. 
And yeah. because I was only kind of after one specific deer at that point, um, I only hunted on days. So I was hunting a lot less than I, I am now, uh, than I do now. Uh, cause I'm, I was only after one deer in 2017, knowing that this guy could be around. Did you have like all your eggs in one basket for this particular buck or were you still hunting like a, a category of deer? Well, I mean, it, you know, if a, if another mature, nice mature buck had come through, I, you know, I would have shot, you know, I would have shot. I wasn't, I have two buck tags anyway, so I could still, if I wanted to, I usually won't fill both, but, um, you know, if a mature buck had come through, I would have shot. I wasn't holding out exclusively for this deer, although he was my primary deer I wanted. What I also have is, which is a little different than a lot of people is because of the properties I'm involved with and have permission on, I have to harvest those. So this sort of whole season leading up to here, I've been shooting does, which I was trying to lay off the area where I thought I had the best chance of encountering him and staying out of that area and harvesting does on neighboring properties and that property sort of along the edges without ever pushing into this area. I thought he would be cruising through looking for does. Okay. That did also allow me sort of to keep tabs on, on the does. So I sort of knew where they were betting. Okay. So I had an idea of where a buck that was coming through that area looking for does would end up looking, you know, where he would find them. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so you were like hand selecting what doe groups to interrupt and pressure. So you left the other ones alone. So you knew that when this, this ninth through the 16th timeframe came, you knew that there's still going to be does that bucks could chase in that area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I and, and I and through the doe hunting, I'd sort of figured out where they were and what they were doing a little bit. Yeah. So it, it sort of gave me some intel on where I might encounter this deer. And as the as it got closer to that time frame, it just uh, you know I was looking at maps on properties I've hunted my entire life. Yeah. Still looking at aerial maps, and all of a sudden it just it hit me. And I'm like, that's the spot I need to be. All right. Like I need to be right there. Describe um, in detail that spot. It's just a massive, massive uh, sort of cross um, strip of, of of swamp and timber intersects with another sort of larger property, and there's a couple lakes nearby. And just the way it funnels the deer, it's basically like a four way intersection. Um, okay. If the deer are cruising from between properties, and that connected up to where I had seen him bedded with that doe in the swamp. And it also connected directly. Uh, you know, if you made a, if you were facing North and went straight North on the intersection in not very far, you'd, you'd uh, encounter the property where I had the first encounter with him from the shed. Okay. And then if you went uh, East at that four way intersection, you would come up to the property. I encountered him with bedded with the doe and then further along that sort of travel corridor uh, loops up around to where I was chasing him that, that one morning. Okay. All right. So you had kind of moment of clarity there, and it was like, man, yeah. I think I know where my best chance of uh, getting this buck is going to be. Now, when you realize that, what time of year was it? 
that was probably the ninth the of November. Ninth I mean, of it, November. It, it happens. Yeah. So the tenth, uh, a front was moving in, and it was really the temperature dropped. I don't know. I'm going to guess 20, 20 degrees maybe. Okay. On the tenth. Uh, real high winds. So the wind wasn't good for that spot, and I just wasn't sure what was going to be moving with these high winds. I mean, it was it was like downright scary in a tree. It was, you know, sustained at over 20 miles an hour. So I hunted a different property completely, uh, just going out somewhere completely different. And I encountered, you know, a, a young six-pointer, and that was that. And I climbed down, and that afternoon I decided to hang out with the wife and kids to uh, – get some stuff done i figured it wasn't gonna be the best afternoon i was biding my time to try to you know find that balancing act between family and hunting because i knew the 11th that saturday was going to be clear and cold with a perfect wind for the tree i wanted to be in for this for this particular deer so i wanted to have the whole day on saturday and possibly sunday set aside to hunt this deer so i was you know hanging out with the wife and kids friday afternoon instead of hunting Okay. But we drove out to run some errands, and we were driving past sort of the property, looking down towards where I wanted to hunt this deer in the morning. And, and my wife's like, you know, what are you looking for? And I said, that deer, I haven't seen him yet, but he's got to be in here. I'm going to get him in here. And she's laughing, because she's like, you don't even know if this deer's alive. You haven't seen him in a year. You know, how do you think you're going to get him down there? And I said, I don't know, but if this you know, annual pattern thing is real and, and my gut's right. I think I'm going to have a good encounter down here with them in the next couple of days. So that was on the afternoon of the 10th. Okay. So then you went in and you hunted the 11th, right? Yeah. The 11th. So I went into a tree. Now, hang on one second. Uh, to I'm a spot interrupt of, you. Yeah. All right. I want to know, is this, what, what day did you kill this deer on? On the 11th. On the 11th. Okay. Uh, and we're getting, we're getting to that point, right? Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about this access. All right. Because the last time, uh, the, the previous year you walked in and you bumped, and I know this may have been a different tree stand location, but you, you bumped a deer and a, a doe and this buck and they, they ran away. Now, did you have a rock solid access route to this stand location that you were, that you were going to hunt? Um, yeah, I, I had as good as I could get. So the way the property lays out, if I just wanted to get in there, I had permission to park in a couple different places and I could walk sort of more or less flat land, a couple hundred yards to the tree, right. you know, two, 300 yards to the tree. It'd be easy to get in, but it's just not the safest, smartest way to get into that spot. Okay. So early in the morning, I have permission from a neighboring property, um, it's like a little hobby farm type of place and I can walk through their property. So early in the morning, that's how I access it. I can walk right down the edge of their field. Nothing's out there. It's a yard basically. And if you bump anything there, they're, you know, they're used to people coming and going. It's not so bad. And I can cut through and, and get to this spot. It's not so bad. Problem is once daylight rolls around, they have a bunch of dogs that aren't really that nice. So, when the dogs are out, I have permission to go through the property, but the dogs will bark and follow you right into the woods, and it's 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 not it doesn't work. So going in in the morning had a rock solid way in, and I you know so I went in for the morning sit like that. Okay, all right. So you went down there, morning sit. What did you see that morning? Um, 
So it's a new tree, a uh, new spot. I mean, I know the area real well, but I've never been in this exact spot. I just sort of, sort of thought I had to move over a little bit. So, so you're setting up in the dark. Anything. Yeah, setting up in the dark, uh, lone wolf climber. Um, so I get up in the tree, and we had been seeing a lot of deer movement midday around that time of year. Uh, you know, after nine o'clock in the morning, and you know, I killed a doe two days, three days before, at like two forty in the afternoon. So we've been seeing a lot of more midday movement. So. I didn't see anything. It was cold, and I hadn't seen anything until about 9.30. And I looked behind me, and I see a buck running in through the brush. So the way it was set up, it was going to happen fast, and I couldn't get a good look at it. So I was at full draw when it stepped out in front of me, and it was just a really nice two-and-a-half, maybe three-and-a-half-year-old four-pointer, but, you know, 10-inch G2s and just big main beans. So I let down on him. And he left, and then uh, a little six-pointer came through a few minutes later. So that was like 9.30, 10 o'clock. Okay. So I sat a little longer, but it was getting cold, and I had to get home to do a couple things uh, around the house. So I climbed down, and um, it was a real long way out. It's up and over this big hill, and it's open, open hardwoods, and there's always activity with people around the area up there. So the deer are never up there during the daytime. So I can come up and over this big hill, but it's it's, it's pretty steep, and it takes me almost three quarters of a mile a mile to get back to the house up some pretty steep stuff. Okay. So I had hiked out that way in the morning, and went back to the house and was doing some things, and the whole day I was talking to my buddies and texting them and i was trying to talk myself out of going back to that tree because i knew to get back in i was gonna have to go back up and over this mountain and i didn't really want to do it, it was, i was just starting to run late it was you know 1 30 in the afternoon and i should have been in a tree already so finally i texted my buddy and i'm like screw it I, this is my best tree i got to do it so i threw on my stand and my backpack and all my stuff and i hiked back over and i got in the tree and uh you know, I got in, I got settled in the tree, and I texted my buddy. I said, well, I did it. I'm in that tree. We'll see how it works out. And I slid my phone in my pocket, and five minutes later, here comes a doe crashing down the hill. So uh, you know, I was like, this is it. Something's happening. And I picked up my bow, and here comes the doe right behind me. She's panting, out of breath, hanging out. And I look up, and about 100 yards away, here's the deer. And I think it's him. But either way, it's I'm not I don't have time to throw binoculars up. I just know he's a really good deer. So he comes crashing down the hill. I'm at full draw at him when he's still 100 yards away because he's coming in hot. Yeah. And uh, as he gets to 18 yards and broadside, I'm like Matt, 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 and he slows down, but he's still moving. And I just I had the pin on him, and I was just following him, and I I shot him on the move. And. Uh, I caught the spine, but I was low in the spine. So I got the part of the spine, and I guess I hit the dorsal aorta, the the main artery under the spine, and I right. came down through one lung. But it shocked his spine enough that he, he, he fell over. I put another one in him quick, but of course it happened so fast that when he dies, his head is behind a tree, so I can't see him. So I don't know if it's the deer I just shot that I'm even after. Right. So you, you... – I'm like – you just identified that it was a shooter deer. You didn't know that it was him specifically. 
it, it, it looked like it was him, but it was happening. I mean, from the time I saw him at a hundred yards, to the time I put an arrow on him was probably mm, eight seconds, 10 seconds. Okay. I mean, it happened very, very fast. Gotcha. So I knew it was definitely a, a big bodied, mature deer, good rack, dark card rack, but I didn't have time to like check out the brow times and count the points. I just knew it was a good mature deer that, I thought was him. My gut was telling me it was him, but I wasn't sure. And it was one of those things that, you know how it is. You have a deer down and you don't want to hype yourself up that it's a bigger deer than you thought it was. And then you get down and you're disappointed. You don't want to hype yourself up that, you know, you think it's a certain deer and it turns out to be a different deer. So I just want to be excited, but I'm nervous now. Right. Um, but so the doe's hanging out behind me still. He's dead right there. And I hear crashing. So I, I knocked another arrow because I'm like, who knows what's going to come down the hill next? And here comes a little seven pointer I'd passed up uh, a couple days before in the area, and uh, and I actually watched her. He walked up to the dead deer and kind of shook, you know, was checking him out and you know, sort of squaring off to the dead deer, and then he just marched right over the doe and hopped up on her breader. <laughs> just, just like that. Just like that. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm seeing this. I mean, she took 10 steps and ran a little bit, but he basically marched right over and just jumped up on her. He just, it, it, you know, it doesn't take long, man. You get knocked off that totem pole and someone else steps right up fast. Oh, yeah, I've seen you it. You know? I've seen it. Man, that's crazy. Um, and this guy's not a contender at all. He's a little two-and-a-half-year-old seven-pointer, but he just, he didn't have any competition at that moment, and she was ready. So yeah, she was tired. That's what happened. So I'm, I'm, I'm texting my wife and, and I text her and I said, like, I just shot a really nice deer. And she says, is it him? And I said, I think it is. And she's like, well, what do you mean? Do you, is it down? I said, yeah, but I, I can't see his damn head. It's behind a tree. I'm freaking out here. So, uh, um, so I'm texting up my buddies and they're all like, is it him? I'm like, I don't know. I got to climb down. So I had to sit down and compose myself for a few minutes. And, uh, Sure enough, I climbed down and I walked over there, and it was him. It's a deer I've been, you know, thinking about for three years. Oh boy! So when yeah. you realized that it was him, what what was going through your mind? Just kind of like an "Oh my god!" I did it. or or is it just like, you know, did you lose it, or did you were you just like, "Oh my god, it's him! That's awesome!" I lost it, but not in like a freak out way. I mean, I did at some point. I went through every emotion. I mean, it was. Uh, you know, it's amazing to be, you know, to, to accomplish a goal that you set out to do. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of it was luck. I had no real intel on this deer. A lot of it was, you know, it's past experiences on the properties and gut feelings and, and you know, putting together some of the pieces. Um, you know, and some of it was a little bit of sadness because I thought about this deer for a couple of years now. He wasn't going to be there to chase. Right. So, right. you know, I mean, I was, I was stoked. Yeah. But. I just, you know, my wife says, oh, we want to come, you know, she was in the car with my daughter and she says, uh, my daughter's three and a half. And she says, you know, Caden wants to come help, help get the deer. You know, we'll come meet you, you know? And I said, no, I said, let me just walk back to the house. I want to sit here for a few minutes and I'll drag all my crap back to the house and, and then we'll come back out together as a family. So, uh, so I sat there probably for 10 minutes with the deer and took a few pictures in the field and just kind of composed my thoughts and just. You know, it was a nice walk back to the house. It was real. Just let me be by myself for a few minutes and sort of put it all together. Right, right. And then after that moment, you got your daughter, and then she helped you on the yeah. recovery. Yeah, so my buddy was in. It was was right nearby, so he came over. 
And uh, I have two daughters. One's a year old now, and another one's three and a half. And my wife. So we all went out together to recover it, and that was a lot of fun. Just a group of us, like good you know, friends and family, just going out to get the deer, and, and it was a lot of fun. Cool. My daughter, you know, it didn't. She just she's she loves tracking deer and, and being a whole part of it. So it's been fun to have her out there, and she wanted to be part of it. And she kept saying, "Daddy, you're going to get a deer so big it won't go in the cooler." It won't fit in the cooler. That's where it lives. You know, we'll drive down the road and she's pointing to some random wood and says, there's a deer in there that's so big it won't fit in the cooler. <laughs> that's um, that's her That's her idea of a big buck. That's awesome. Yeah, if you can't fit in the cooler, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, that's a big cooler. And she's like, oh, it's too big to fit in the cooler. So it's, it's, that's, her, that's her thing. So she kept saying that. So she was very excited. And it, it was awesome. And just putting, putting it all together was just, it was really cool. And that's why I sent you the message because – you know, without hearing about annual patterns from some of the guests and different people's experiences, I wouldn't put this all together. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, I might've got the deer at some point, maybe even that day in that spot by some other happen chance, but really it was learning from a lot of the stuff that, you know, I, I've heard on the podcast, which is really awesome. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Awesome. Now, after this happened, you know, after this buck, you know, kind of taught you something about a new, a new, a new idea, you know, I'm trying to figure out how I put this, you know, you got exposed to a new way of hunting. Is this, is this a principle now? This, this, this thought of annual patterns is, is this something that maybe will change the way you hunt or is it just something that you're going to keep as kind of a, uh, a side idea for, you know, the next year. It's going to, it's going to change the way I hunt at least a little bit. A lot of what I do is going to be just hunts based on Intel and wind. And, and honestly, I go with gut feeling a lot. And I think it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, if like I wake up in the morning and even if like the night before I had planned to go to stand A, but I wake up in the morning, I'm like, man, I should be stand B go to stand B because that's where you're going to kill a deer. Um, as long as the wind is right, you're not doing something wacky. But if, if it works out, like, and you have a gut feeling that says, go to this spot, go to that spot. Because that's what drove me to hike all the way back in with all my gear and step back up in that tree. It's a gut feeling. I've done it multiple times and I've you know done pretty well by going on, on that. I think just enough time in the woods and you sort of, you know, you sort of just get a feeling for what the deer are doing in a particular set of, you know, circumstances. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. I tell you what, man, I, I myself am a fan, you know, I'm a huge believer of annual patterns and, um, I, I wish I no, I know, I don't wish, I know that, uh, deer are going to be in an area in a specific time. The, the trick is, is to find the, Find that tree stand location that has the highest odds of having an encounter with whatever deer you're chasing that's on that annual pattern and, and spend some real time there. Um, for me, I had to learn, uh, you know, the annual pattern lesson, but I also had to learn the, the lesson of you can't hunt a stand one time and give up on it. Something similar to what you did right? You, you went in there and then you had this gut feeling. You're like, man, I got to go back and give it another shot. Yeah. Especially during the rut. If you're talking 
you know, you know a buck is showing up during the rut, you know, you're going to get new deer past that spot possibly every every day or multiple times a day. You know, I don't over, I try to you know, really sparingly hunt tree stands, but during the rut time, if you're in a good funnel and you think that's your best chance, you know, and you have good access and, and exit uh, and the wind is good, I mean, just hunt the hell out of it if you have to. You know, hunt right. three, four, or five times in a row if you have to. Right. Absolutely. You know, you're going to educate some deer, but if the deer you're after hasn't come through, you haven't educated that deer yet. Right. So, and then, you know, going with the annual pattern, I, uh, I had passed up a really nice, like 120 inch, three and a half year old last year on another piece of property. And I knew that was just before Thanksgiving. So after I'd killed this deer, I I said, let me just go see. And it's, it's a long hike. It's about a mile and a half hike in, um, and it's, it's, you know, it's a tough spot to access. So I had gone in there on, I think the 17th. And I was hunting with my recurve at this point. And sure enough, here comes a really nice four and a half year old buck. Is it the same buck I passed the year before? I don't know, but he was locked down with the doe. And he came in and she was at 15 yards broadside and he was right behind her. But as she got in close, he kind of, it opened up the woods a little bit. And he stood back and was just watching her. He got into about 30 yards, and I knew my point on, um, and I shot, but I hit a branch I didn't see just before the arrow got to him, and I deflected over the top of him. But it was, I went there based on maybe that deer would be back, and I don't know if that was the same deer or not, but it it put me on a really nice four-and-a-half-year-old, you know. This year, he was pushing 130 inches. Well, I know where you're going to be next year at that time, right? Oh, absolutely. He might be the next year. Like I'm going to try to target because he was a really, really nice deer this year. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's awesome, man, that you, you, you had kind of an aha moment in the woods and it, it takes those to make a person a better hunter. And it's not just necessarily that it takes those because those, in my opinion, happen every year. It's just having the brain power and the, you know, having the observation skills to identify those moments and to act on them so that it's i'm just that's so awesome that it worked out for you like it did yeah it's just uh you know every year i learn something and sometimes what i learn is you know just a bigger you know it's a bigger piece of the puzzle and i'm not saying this is going to change everything i'm not saying it's always the case but just knowing that even sometimes some of these bucks are doing the same thing in the same spot year after year if that gives you a 2% better opportunity to harvest that buck, it's worth it. Right. Absolutely. It's one more you piece know, of the puzzle, right? You got to just, you know, anything to edge those odds in your favor a little bit. That's cool, man. Well, I tell you what, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking time to come on the podcast and uh, talk about your experiences from this last year and in the last couple of years to, uh, to get this buck and, uh, um, I can't help but say good luck next season as well, man. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm hoping uh, I'm hoping it pays off. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Another podcast in the books. Huge shout out to Greg for coming on the podcast and uh, sharing his thoughts about annual patterns, sharing the story of the buck he shot this year. Beautiful buck. Good luck next season. And I tell you what, my season's over. Uh, I'll get into that in uh, another 
podcast. I'll talk a little bit about uh, like a season review. I know that's coming out on Thursday. The Wired to Hunt podcast uh, that's coming out on Thursday will cover a little bit about what we've learned uh, from you know 2017 season. But huge shout out to each and every one of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. Who do we got? Who do we got? Exodus, Ripcord, Bighorn Outfitters, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead. And I think that's it, man. Uh, I appreciate all their support. So if you get the opportunity, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. And last but not least, please go subscribe to the podcast. Go to iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever you download your podcast. Search Sportsman's Nation, and there you will find the Nine Finger Chronicles, Land and Legacy, Transition Wild, DIY Sportsman. If you do it now, you probably realize there are two identical feeds. Well, they're not identical. One is Sportsman's Nation Whitetail, and that's what you're listening to now. The other one is is the start of Sportsman's Nation Big Game Western Hunting. So it's going to be another feed under the Sportsman's Nation umbrella that will have podcasts that revolve around Western or other big game species. So I'm really excited to start that up. Um, not sure when the official launch date will be for that, but uh, I'm organizing other podcasts to come on board right now, and uh, I will more than happily let you know when that is. So if you love Western hunting or are just interested in Western hunting, uh, we're going to have a platform for that as well. All under the Sportsman's Nation umbrella, you know, we're going to have waterfowl coming. We're going to have fishing coming hopefully this year as well. And knock on wood, I think we're going to be having some vlogs up and running as well. So like I mentioned earlier this year, man, I'm just excited to expand the Sportsman's Nation to cover everything and be an actual reflection of what a majority of the hunters are doing and that is not you know high highly managed 2,000 acre farms um, with no pressure so we kind of have to do things a little different and I want this to represent that Uh, so I guess that's what I'm going for other than that guys social media Instagram Facebook search nine finger chronicles go and like it but more more importantly with all that new content coming down the pipe be sure to go to instagram and facebook and like the sportsman's nation and uh, there's going to be a lot of cool things coming down the pipe there as well i think that's it guys if you're going to be in a tree the rest of the season i know the season is uh winding down or if you're in the south it's just kind of Some of the good uh, parts are just getting started. Please, if you're going to be in a tree, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.